right, let's go ahead and get started. We can be turning to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And we're going to continue our series using the law lawfully, looking at the law in the Old Testament, how we can apply it to our lives in the New Testament, so or see even if it does apply. Today we're going to be starting in Deuteronomy 7. We're going to be looking at at least three, hopefully, uh, if we get through these three quick enough, or if at all, we might go into the fourth one. Uh, but three that are very closely related. Uh, previously we looked at some things about government, and we're following the <clears throat> Sefer Mitzvah and their order of the 613 laws. And for some reason, they, at this point, just dropped the section on government and jumped into a different section. So we're going we're gonna to do the same thing. Drop the section on government, jump into a different section of the law, and continue with that until the Sefer HaMitzvah gets back to government. And then we'll go back to the government section. And we'll just follow their ordering, even though sometimes it doesn't make any sense to me. All right, so today we're going to look at... First of all, destroying the seven nations of the Canaanites, and the command to utterly destroy them and wipe them out. The coffee's done if anyone wants to jump up and grab some coffee. But Deuteronomy 7 gives us the first part of this command for them to destroy the Canaanites. In verses 1 and 2, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Okay, and so here we have a command for them to completely destroy and wipe out these seven nations that were in the land of Canaan. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20. <clears throat> we can see a little bit more about this command. This is one of the most well-known commands in the Old Testament. The command for the Jews to destroy the Canaanites and kill all of them. But it's not really talked about a whole lot in the Old Testament law. It's just mentioned a couple of times, and that's you know, mentioned that's probably three or four times, and that's about it, and it's really it's not dwelt on a whole lot. But another place we see it here is in Deuteronomy 20 and verse 16. But of the cities of these people which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. Thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites, Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Okay, so again, we see save alive nothing that breatheth. They go into these cities and just wipe them all out entirely. And then we can see in the next verse the reason that was given for this destruction, verse number 18, that they teach you not to do after all their abominations which they have done unto their gods, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. Okay, so the purpose for destroying the Canaanites completely
completely wiping them out, killing man, woman, and child, was so that the Canaanites could not influence Israel and cause Israel to turn away from God and toward the abominations of the Canaanites. Now we can see that again in Exodus chapter 23. Let's turn over there. Exodus 23 and verse 33. Exodus 23, verse 33. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. And then turn to Numbers 33 and verse 55. Numbers 33, verse 55. <coughs> Here we see, but if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Moreover, it shall come to pass, <coughs> excuse me, that I shall do unto, <coughs> excuse me, that I shall do unto you as I thought to do unto them. And so there's a warning from God. That's interesting. <clears throat> Got a basketball goal right behind my head. <clears throat> All right, so, <clears throat> so we see here a warning from God that if they do not kill all the men, women, and children of the land, uh, that they will influence them to go into idolatry and to follow all the abominations of the Canaanites, which You've got sacrificing children, uh, bestiality, homosexuality, incest. I mean, it's all kinds of uh, wickedness going on in the lands of Canaan or in the nations of Canaan. <clears throat> and if they did not kill them all, they would influence them to go back into that uh, wickedness. And then God would have to destroy the nation of Israel. And if you know your history, that actually is what happened. The Israelites did not destroy all the Canaanites. They did influence them to uh, go into idolatry, and God did eventually have to uh, destroy Israel and uh, send them into captivity multiple times before they finally were put into captivity uh, or finally were pushed from the land in uh, 70 AD and then uh, didn't come back until 1948. And so it's, it's a long period of time there. And the warning from God is still there. And if they don't heed that warning, they still have the possibility of being pushed out of the land again, even now. All right, so that's the Old Testament command. They were commanded to destroy the seven nations that were in the land of Canaan. They were to kill every man, woman, and child of these nations. And this was so that that would prevent the Canaanites from teaching the Israelites to follow their abominations. Now let's look at the New Testament application and we're not going to go into the New Testament to look at it because there is no New Testament application of this to us today. This command never applied to any situation other than the conquest of Canaan, even for the Jews. This command to go in and, and 
wipe out every man, woman, and child only applied to the seven nations that were in Canaan at the time that they conquered the land. They were forbidden from following that uh, type of attack anywhere else. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy 20 and verse number 10 is where we'll start. Deuteronomy 20, verse number 10. When thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it. And it shall be, if it make thee answer of peace and open unto thee, then it shall be that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. And if it will make no peace with thee, but will make war against thee, then thou shalt besiege it. And when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thine hands, thou shalt smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. That's all the fighting force. That's what it's talking about there. Um, smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. But the women and the little ones, those are the ones that are not fighting, the non-combatants, uh, and the cattle and all that is in the city, even all the spoil thereof, shalt thou take unto thyself, and thou shalt eat the spoil of thine enemies, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. So this is the command for all the cities other than these seven nations that they were to destroy. This is how they were supposed to treat them. First, make an offer of peace before you attack. Say, hey, we're going to attack. This is what's going to happen if we attack. We want to avoid that. So why don't you sign a treaty with us before we even get to it? So make that offer first. If they say, no, we're going we're gonna to go to battle with you, then you go to battle with them, kill all the combatants, save the non-combatants, and then you uh, reap the benefit of having the spoil from the city. And you can see in verse 15, Thus shalt thou do unto all the cities which are very far off from thee, which are not of the cities of these nations. And verse 16, if you noticed earlier, starts with the word but. But of the cities of these people which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. Okay, so the... Even in the very spot in here where it talks about saving alive nothing that breatheth and destroying all the Canaanite nations, that is contrasted with the fact that Israel was not to act that way towards other nations. And in all their battles against other people, uh, they were to first proclaim peace, then they were only to kill the combatants and not the non-combatants, and they were to let the, the non-combatants uh, actually come into them and be part of the nation of Israel. They were assimilated into Israel. So, so we can see here the command never applied to any situation other than the conquest of Canaan. Now, you may wonder about this conquest. Why would God apply it here? We can see that a little bit if we go to Genesis 15 and verse 13. It's, it's never really spelled out 100% perfect clarity why God did this. But in Genesis 15, verse 13, we get a little bit of a glimpse. This is God speaking unto Abram. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed, that's the nation of Israel, shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Okay, that's their time in Egyptian bondage. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And 
If you remember, the Amorites is one of those seven nations that they were to destroy. And so we can kind of get the idea here that uh, Israel's attack on the nations of Canaan was divine retribution from God against the, the people of Canaan for their wickedness. And you can see here how patient God was with these nations of Canaan. And that he allowed his chosen people to be in bondage for 400 years waiting for the Amorites to get beyond any possibility of repentance. And when they got to where their iniquity was completely full, where that was it, there was no other opportunity for them to repent, they had wasted all of it and turned against God for the last time, then that's when God said, okay, now I'm going to bring my children out of bondage and they're going to be the instrument of my wrath. And so this was a single instance of divine punishment against these nations, similar to how God brought the flood against the, the world of Noah, similar to how God brought uh, fire and brimstone against Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a single incident of divine wrath against a nation, <clears throat> in this case against seven nations. And Israel was just the instrument that God used in order to bring the destruction against these nations. So this... This is a one-time command. It has no application to us as New Testament believers as far as something that we should follow. Uh, it's, it's only a one-time command that was given for Israel for a sim single reason, for a single application, uh, and never to be repeated at any time in their history. So that's the command to destroy seven nations of the Canaanites. Any comments or questions on that one before we move on? Back to Deuteronomy. Chapter 20, verse 10. Mm -hmm. and I understand the part about you know, God's chosen people to try to destroy Canaanite and so. Mm -hmm. Was it also its purpose just to go out and destroy more? If, <coughs> if they were evil, in a sense. Um, verses uh, 10 through 15 here of Deuteronomy 20 is not necessarily for attacking people that are evil. It's just for any warfare. Any so, warfare. Yeah, it's just the commands that govern any war that Israel went into. So, just conceivably, if they were provoked, right. then okay. Right. But, and not they, not, but not in the sense where we were warmongers, you know what I'm saying? Right. We'd go out and just get land for the sake of. Right. Yeah. And, and you'll notice time to time throughout the Bible, if you study, which we did, we studied the, the battles mm -hmm. of the Bible. And when you do that, you can see that Israel followed this fairly well in all the different battles that they fought. And in many of those cases, they were provoked. Right. Yeah, they were attacked and they were retaliating to attacks against them. But in light of that also, with your question about whether God just wanted them to conquer the land of Canaan or whether he wanted them to go out and conquer more, the promised land was not just the land of these seven nations of Canaan. Uh, that was just around the Jordan rivers where these seven nations were. The promised land went from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the river Euphrates. So it's a huge tract of land, which they did have uh, under David and Solomon. Um, and so that was what God wanted them to have, was that huge tract of land. And just in this one little bitty section, that was where uh, this command applied for wiping them out, man, woman, and child. <clears throat> Verse 
That's a good question. Any other comments or questions? <clears throat> All right, let's go down to the next one, uh, destroying idols. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 12. Now, this is another interesting one. It follows very closely to the command to destroy the seven Canaanite nations. But let's look here in Deuteronomy chapter 12, uh, verse number 2 and 3. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess served their gods, upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree, and ye shall overthrow their altars, and break their pillars, and burn their groves with fire. And ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods, and destroy the names of them out of that place. Okay, so here we have a command for them to go in, find all the places where there are idols and idol worshiping going on, and to completely destroy them. So destroy the, the altars, the pillars, that means you know, you're destroying everything, the buildings, everything. Everything in that place where idols are worshipped, you're to destroy it all and completely wipe out the name of the, that idol from that place. So that's the first thing we see of the command. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, so we can see a little bit more about it. Deuteronomy 7, verse number 5. <clears throat> but thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, and break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. Uh, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. So again, destroy all the idols. Go down to verse number 25. <clears throat> the graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them. Thou shalt not, or nor take it unto thee lest thou be snared therein, for it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. So, again, these commands to destroy all the graven images and uh, completely wipe them out. That's the Old Testament command. Jews were to utterly destroy the idols and places of worship. But it's interesting, this is all the idols and places of worship that belong to the seven nations of Canaan. This is not all idol uh, idols and places of idol worship in the world. This is just the ones that belong to those seven nations of Canaan. And so it's very closely tied to the destruction of those seven nations in that you're to destroy their places of worship and their idols. Um, but, which brings us to the New Testament application. Again, there is no New, ne New Testament application of this. And in fact, if you were to read the Sefer HaMitzvah, the Jews themselves come out and say very clearly, this command only applies inside of the promised land, the, the uh, central nation of Israel. They, Eretz Israel is the word they have for it. So that's the land of Canaan right there around Georgia, Jordan. And so they, they themselves say it only applies there. Throughout all their history, as far as I can tell, there's never been uh, a rabbi that we know of who has said that it applies anywhere else. It only applies inside of the borders of Canaan. And we can see that in both of these places that we looked at, Deuteronomy 12 and in Deuteronomy 7, where God very clearly says, this is what you're going to do to them of that place. This is what you show. Uh, you destroy all the idols in this land, not in 
all other parts of the land. So that's that's the command to destroy the idols. It applied just to destroying all the idols of the nations of Canaan, which is why we don't go around destroying idols everywhere in the world today, because it's not for us, it's just for the Jews, and just during that conquest of Canaan and destroying those idols. The reason why I asked that question earlier is that I, I, some folks who I've gotten into discussions, you know, they say they've read the Bible, and at the beginning of the Bible, there's many wars going on, and God's people were chosen to, you know, wipe out, you know, and they said, well, wait a minute, go back and really read that, because the whole idea was that it was different, you know, the evil was in Canaan, right. and that's what he was focused on. <clears throat> yep. And, and, and then, you know, as far as States is doing, has been, has done, you know what I'm saying? It's always like lately the last 30, 40, 50 years been human rights and human rights and they're getting involved in other countries, which is a whole different, they're trying to correlate the two, right. okay? You know, that, you know, this country, you know, as far as what God wants this country to do, you know, compared to what God was having Israel do, you know, there's, there's, there's not much, I, I don't Yeah, the, the conquest of Canaan was a very special time exactly. that we can't take that. As, as opposed to, you know, you can talk to some folks today and they always wonder why do we always got to meddle in other countries, you know, anything like that. And really, as far as our country is concerned, it's a matter of human rights. And that's one of the reasons why you know, this was always brought upon the colonies and so forth. And everything like that. And we're just trying to make people free of liberty. Very good. All right, now let's go to the next one. This one does not just apply to the conquest of Canaan, but it, it is still tied to it. And that is the command to destroy idol worshipers. So not just destroy the idols, but destroying those who worship idols. Uh, let's go to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22, <clears throat> verse number 20. <clears throat> and this is a general command uh, to the Jews about the Jews here. It's not just applying to the land of Canaan. He that sacrificeth unto any god, save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Okay, so here we have a statement. Offer a sacrifice to any god other than the Lord you're going to be destroyed and be put to death. Now, this is fleshed out a little bit more in other passages. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 17 verse number 2 gives more detail on this command. If there be found among you within any of thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God in transgressing his covenant, and hath gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or moon or any of the hosts of heaven which I have not commanded, and it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold it be true, and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in Israel, 
Then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman which have committed that wicked thing unto thy gates, even that man or that woman, and shalt stone them with stones till they die. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness shall he shall not be put to death. The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people. So thou shalt put away evil from among you. And so here we have the command again that any Jew who is found serving a false god was to be put to death. And you can tell that this is talking just about the Jews because it uh, speaks in verse number 2 of transgressing his covenant. So transgressing the covenant of the Lord, that covenant was only between God and the Jews. So this is not talking about Gentiles, this is talking about Jews who were found serving false gods, they were to be put to death. In addition to that, we can go back to Deuteronomy 13 and verse number 6. We can see that uh, any Jew that encouraged others to serve false gods was to be tried and then killed. Uh, verse number 6, if thy brother, the son of thy mother, or the son of thy or the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee. So this is not just talking about the gods in Canaan, any false god, uh, from one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him, to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. Thou shalt stone him with stones, that he die, because he hath sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. And all Israel shall hear and fear shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. So here again, if a Jew comes to another Jew and says, let's go and serve this false god and tries to encourage him to leave the worship of the Lord and turn to false worship, then that Jew making that uh, proselytization there is to be put to death. And so that's, that's the command that what they see in the Old Testament, the Jews were to follow. In the New Testament, we can see that there's no direct application of this command to the Gentiles, but it still is a command that the Jews were at least following, and I would say that they should still follow uh, as Jews in the New Testament. Once they, even as as believers, this is a command that they're supposed to be following because I don't see anything in here that limits this particular command to the Jews, but it is just to the Jews and just concerning uh, the Jews. So we go back to uh, Deuteronomy 17.2 where we just were. Get there, there we go. If there be found among you within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath wrought, wrought wickedness in transgressing his covenant. And so, again, this is just talking about the Jews. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4, verse 23. 
Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. So here we have again, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. So this is a covenant that the Jews have made with God that they have to abide by. And then Deuteronomy 29, verse 10. And this is the text of the covenant, or a, a rehearsing of the, the covenant here toward the end of Deuteronomy. Verse number 10. You stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood unto the drawer of thy water. That thou shouldst enter into covenant with the Lord thy God, and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, and that he may be unto thee a God, as he hath said unto thee, and as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And this is a, an important part here, verse number 14. Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with him that standeth here with us today, this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day. So the future generations are bound by the same covenant. We can skip 16 and 17, go to 18. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And it come to pass when he heareth the words of this curse that he bless himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace though I walk in the imagination of mine heart to add drunkenness to thirst. The Lord will not spare him. But then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord shall separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. So all the generation to come of your children, so future Jews, all the generation to come of your children that shall rise up after you, and the stranger that shall come from a far land shall say, when they see the plague of that land, and the sickness which the Lord hath laid upon it, and that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning, that it is not sown, nor beareth, nor any grass groweth therein, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. Even all nations shall say, Wherefore hath the Lord done this unto this land? What meaneth the heat of this great anger? Then men shall say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they knew not, whom they had not given, whom he had not given unto them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land to bring upon it all the curses that are written in this book. And the Lord rooted them out of their land in anger and in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. And so here we see this covenant that Israel has made with God to serve him and serve him alone. And if they break that covenant, their life is forfeited. And that's, the, that's part of the covenant that they agree to. It applies to them and to their children for all generations. And we see that multiple times here where it mentions future generations and, and all generations to come. Uh, so it's, this is not something that 
just apply to the Jews of that day. It applies to all Jews throughout all time. They are required by God to worship him and worship him alone. And if they don't, their life is forfeit. That's not something that applies to Gentiles. It is something that applies to the Jews. Now, there's no example in Scripture of this command ever being applied against Gentiles, but we can see in the New Testament several examples of this command being applied against Jews, uh, mainly against Jews that had become Christians, uh, or in the first case, against Jesus himself. Go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 17. Now, remember, the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, the majority of them at this time did not follow Christ, did not see him as the Messiah. They saw him as a false prophet, uh, someone teaching a false religion. And so this command about stoning people that uh, led you into a false religion and against uh, to another God other than the, the God of Israel, that would have applied. If that was correct, that Jesus was leading them into a false religion, that command would have applied to him. And they would have responsibility to pick up stones and stone him. Of course, they have to give him a trial first, and they never did that in any of their attempts to stone him. They were a little overzealous there. Uh, but they were still commanded that if he was truly teaching a false religion, they were supposed to stone him. Which, we'll look here and we'll look at three places where they try to do that. But just thinking about it now, that probably explains why all the times they picked up stones to stone Jesus, he never once retaliated in any way. He, he would walk away from them and manage to get away. So one time it talks about them trying to throw him off a cliff, and he just walks through the midst of them. You know, it's kind of miraculously, uh, we don't know if he froze them to where they couldn't do anything or just numbed their minds so that they couldn't think about the harm they were going to do to him. But he just walked away and never caused any harm to them. Uh, and I think one of the reasons that he recognized they're trying to do what was right here because they think that he's preaching a false religion. And they're trying to follow the law and do what was right. They're doing it in ignorance, but they're still at least trying to do what was right. But we can see here, uh, in their response to Christ, three times they applied this law to Jesus. First one in John 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. And so that statement, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work, he was claiming God was his Father. Verse number 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. So essentially, if he was wrong, he was setting himself up as a false god. And according to the, the Old Testament law, that doing that would be something worthy of being stoned. And that was their response. They picked up stones and tried to stone him. Now let's go to chapter number 8, John 8, and uh, all the way to the end, to verse 58. John 8, verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. <clears throat> so that statement, Before Abraham was, I am, he's then taking what's known as the, the, um, the one of the I am's of God. He's, he's taking the Ergo Ami, which in Greek is what he said, and claiming that to himself, claiming to have the eternal prescience of God. And so that was blasphemy if he was 
false. If he was doing that falsely, that would have been blasphemy, being him uh, claiming to be a false god, and so they took up stones to cast him. And then let's go to John chapter 10 and verse number 30. John 10, verse number 30, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou being a man makest thyself God. And of course, Jesus used logic and reasoning in order to get them to show them they were wrong, but their reasoning here was that Jesus was presenting himself as a false god, and if that's what he was doing, if that was accusation was true, then he deserved to be stoned. Now, we know the accusation was false, but that was the accusation they were following, so they were, they were applying this to Jesus as a Jew. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. See this applied to some other people other than just to Jesus himself. And in Acts chapter 6, it's talking about the uh, trial of Stephen, one of the first deacons. Verse number 11, Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now, that's an important accusation. Blasphemous words against Moses, that's a reference to the covenant that they had agreed to. So what they're saying is, he is transgressing the covenant. He deserves to be put to death. And if we go to chapter 7, all the way to the end of verse 56, this is Stephen talking here in verse 56. Uh, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now, the Son of Man, they knew that was a reference to Jesus because he called himself that when he was there among them. So they knew Stephen was talking about the Jesus. And Stephen is saying, I see Jesus himself standing next to God. And they had already considered that Jesus was a false, raising himself up as a false God. And so now they hear Stephen saying, I see Jesus right there next to God. Now they're saying, you're setting up a false God. And was their response, verse 58, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And so they had that same response to, to Stephen. And then Acts 14, we can see they had the same response to Paul. Acts chapter 14, we'll start verse number 3. This is talking about Paul and the people that are traveling with him. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it, and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, you know, into the region that lieth round about. And then go down to verse number 19. Now they're in Lystra. Paul and his uh, group that are with him are in Lystra. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people 
and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. We know he uh, stood right up after they left him outside the city. He just jumped right up, brushed the dust off of himself, and kept going. So the miracle of God that uh, he was able to do that. Whether being dead and then coming back to life, we don't know, or just being stoned and miraculously healed. Uh, but the point here is that they were stoning the Apostle Paul because he was out preaching the gospel of Christ, which they considered to be the worship of a false god. Now, we see this where they attacked Jesus, they attacked Stephen, they attacked Paul, trying to stone all three of them. But one thing that we should notice is that all three of them were Jews. At the time that they tried to stone Jesus, at the time they tried to, or that they did stone Stephen and did stone Paul, there were lots of Gentiles all around these Jews. Okay, with with Paul, they're in Antioch and then in uh, Lystra and uh, Iconium. They, these are Gentile cities. These are cities that are full of idolatry, and yet we have no record anywhere of them trying to stone the Gentile idol worshippers in this city. In, in those cities. We have no record of the Jews trying to stone the, the Gentile idol worshippers that were in Jerusalem at the time of Christ. They tried to stone the Jews that they thought were leading them into false worship, but not the Gentiles. And so that shows us that this command only applied to the Jews. It does not apply to Gentiles. So it's not something that we're to follow as Americans going around killing people that worship other gods other than our God. This is just something for the Jews themselves to apply to other Jews because of that covenant that they made with God uh, back when they first entered the Promised Land. All right, any comments or questions there? Right, we're a little bit past time, so we'll go ahead and pray and be dismissed. Uh, Dad, why don't you pray for us? Okay.